It's morning. It's a show. Sometimes it's about woodworking. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. fun watching the wood whisperer do instagram stories to get ready for the show isn't it though if you follow me on all platforms it i wasn't be quite a, i was just on instagram a multimedia experience <laughs> oh the pooping thing yeah well good morning everybody good uh, morning. welcome to the morning show i'm mark and i'm nicole today we're going to talk about some woodworking stuff <sighs> and things like we always do yep uh first i want to show you my new mug mm-hmm. this is the ember mug have you guys seen this thing you so basically bought it for yourself for yes. Christmas because you got your mom one and I she got you one. bought my mom one and she got me one, so it's all good. I think she got a lower price though. Oh, because she's smarter. She's a smarter <laughs> shopper than I am. Uh, yeah. So the Ember mug is battery powered, and I used to do this way it's back in the day. Right? It is. Yeah, I used to get those little hot plates, yeah. and I put my yeah, coffee yeah. mug on that just to help keep it warm in the and then shop. You forget about it, and then it comes back all dried and so yeah, so. and it's pretty gross. Uh, this is actually a battery-powered rechargeable mug that heats it from the mug itself, and it continually maintains a temperature. It's kind of wild. It's one of those things that's hard to justify for yourself, but it makes a great gift yeah. if you can convince someone to also buy it for you. <laughs> so highly recommended. Nicole's actually going to yeah, put a link in there for yeah. anyone who's interested. It's it's not cheap, uh, but it is, it's been great. My mom has one now. How long I does the one. charge last? An hour? <clears throat> it's actually disappointingly short. Uh. But the idea is you're supposed to be able to put it back down on the thing to kind of recharge as you go. Yeah. Um, I, but I think for most people, for your average couple cups of coffee in the morning, it's probably just fine. Yeah. I'm going cool. to drink some perfectly yeah. warm coffee. I'm going to drink water because mm-hmm. I got food poisoning in last week. <laughs> yeah, check this out. Ja, ja, Jishu80 says, uh, can I just say how much I love my new Wood Whisperer t-shirts Aww, comfy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah everybody's, everybody's got their t-shirts. That's I'm wearing a guild version right now. Uh, Soft. Oh, we got, got a super chat. Oh, we do? Well, let's yep. put that up there. Little for, foot. Little, I need my glasses. Little foot. <laughs> Could call the morning stream the morning wood show. You know, we've never heard that before. <laughs> thank you for the super chat. Yeah, thank you for the super and chat. Yes, that, we've been recommended that title many times. Many times. And it... Uh, <laughs> It was almost too obvious of a joke, so we didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, let's thank some people, Nicole. Yeah, okay. I want to thank Jose Gonzalez, Jeffrey Lesky, uh, The Craftsman Studio, Chris Newman, John Peckham, Greg Mitchell, Charles A. Berg, and Rod Cottrell. Did you get the... For helping us out. Did you get the YouTube? Yep, up? they're in there. Yay. So that's uh, patreon.com slash woodwhisperer, and also the little join button for the whole membership thing on YouTube, if that's something you're into. Uh, both of those help support us, completely optional. Uh, you certainly don't have to do it. We just appreciate you watching. Yeah. All right, and last thing I want to do before we get into our questions is quick sale announcement. Uh, those of you who already bought the book, this is, this is not necessarily something you care about. Uh, Essential Joinery is a book I wrote like 30 years ago. No. I was waiting for her to respond. I was like... <laughs> It was like two years. It's two it's years like ago. It's like a year and a half, two years yeah. ago. Yes, March of 2019. <clears throat> so when mom moved back, Feels like when 10, mom moved years. to Denver, um, we discovered a couple more boxes of hardcover books <laughs> that I didn't realize that we had. So now we have these limited edition hardcover. We're not making any more of these once they're gone, and we've reduced the price. It's only like three bucks more than the paperback right now. It's like thirty bucks. 
So head to TWWstore.com if you want the hardcover edition of Essential Joinery. Joinery is how we should pronounce it. I've been watching a lot of Shit's Creek. Joinery. Bye-bye. Is that how she talks? She says baby. I watched that show in clips when you were watching it. This also will be autographed. Every book that we sell is autographed. I just caught a – and, of course, I just lost it. Okay. Oh, D. Blackwell just said, I still have your first shirt you sold. The one with the giant logo the on giant it? The giant logo. Well, good uh, good on you. <laughs> and sorry about the size of that logo. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing yeah. in the beginning, Nicole. Yeah, you know. Hey. Okay, so I got a question here from Yoso. Um, I'm grabbing questions from the Patreon folks, mm-hmm. right, who get a chance to put their question in ahead of time. Nicole is grabbing questions directly from the live chat room. Okay, Yoso says, on your video about the Domino 500 connectors, you glued the tenons to the plywood, uh, but put the connector side with the sticking piece of metal on the leg, uh, put it on the other side. On the, okay, so that's on the leg. Is there any reason to do it this way? Um, okay, so what he's saying is, you've got these connector bolts. Uh, that's actually what allows you to cinch these pieces together. But to give it more security, I actually put dominoes in there as well. So they just kind of go in... Uh, they get glued into one side, but they go dry into the, into the other. So it's just there for strength and alignment. So what he's saying is, can you have all the things that poke out of a part all on one piece? Absolutely. Um, I think I only did it that way just to kind of break it up. Uh, but you could certainly put them all in the leg if you wanted to. And he's saying, so for transport, if you're moving this thing, he's absolutely right. It's a lot easier to keep track of one part with all the little sticky things sticking out that you have to make sure don't bend or break uh, rather than having them distributed between two different parts. So, yeah, totally, Yoso, you can absolutely do that. Hey, we just got a super chat and you can throw it up on the screen. <clears throat> got two, actually, Brian. A dose of super chats? Dose. Ah, jeez, I went to click it and it moved. <laughs> okay, uh, first oh, one Oh, what here. a beautiful family, Brian. Brian says, buying an HPLV, I think it means HVLP, First uh, project is painted cabinets. Which Fuji or other brand sprayer do you recommend? Ease of use, cleaning is important. Well, they're all going to be pretty much the same in terms of usage and cleaning. Um, There's not a whole lot that changes in that regard, no matter what brand or what level you buy. Uh, In the Fuji line, if you're going to be spraying lots of paint, especially if it's very thick-bodied paint, you need, you know, power. You need um, as many stages as possible, right? So you can go as high as their five-stage unit, Uh, and probably go undiluted with everything. Or if you go a little bit lower, you could start diluting your paints and get it to a point that it can actually be pushed out with the proper needle and cap set. Uh, So you can do this probably with a lot of paints. As I I would say three stage is probably where you want to start if you're going to do a lot of this paint stuff. Uh, You go lower than that, then you just have to dilute too much. You start messing with the formulation of the paint. Uh, you got to be careful with that, right? So at least three stage, uh, if you can, depending on your budget, if you can go as high as five stage, that's what I've got, um, that thing will spray, you know, syrup out of it. Corn syrup, cold corn syrup. I could spray out of that thing uh, without much trouble, okay? Uh, Let's see. Super duper chat from Antoine. Says, building a large outdoor tabletop, Sherry, and what? Is it Antoine or Antone? Tony? I don't know. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. That was... uh, (laughs) Good of you to interrupt. Me yeah, there. sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, where are we? Building an, a large outdoor table, cherry and babinga board panel, thinking of finishing it with deep penetrating epoxy on all sides. Will it last? No, it won't. Especially if it's out in the sun, nothing ever lasts forever, uh, as I've found out many times. Uh, so, yeah, you can certainly do an epoxy treatment. 
um, and then coat it with whatever you could, you know, maybe leave that. But a lot of times people will put a marine varnish on top of that epoxy sealer. Uh, you can certainly do that, and that can last for a while if it's under cover, like a you know top cover. You got some weather protection. Uh, it can actually last quite a long time. But if it's out in the elements, if it's getting snow, rain, sun, it's only a matter of time before it loses the battle, and you will get peeling finish and have to deal with that. Um, so that's why most of the the outdoor finishes I've been dealing with lately, I've given in to the battle, and I understand I can't win. Uh, so I'm not going with films anymore. I'm going with like a deep penetrating oil, uh, something that will require some maintenance every couple of years, but at least it will never flake, peel, and just look like garbage, right? So that's what I'm I'm afraid of in your situation is you may wind up with that film eventually cracking and just giving up. Uh, Ken Mara said, I love my Apollo Eco 4. Does great. I still have an issue with overspray. Just to give a different... Outside of Fuji. Outside of Fuji. There are great brands. Apollo is one of the best in terms of uh, HVLP turbine systems. Mm -hmm. I just have never really worked with Apollo. We've, from the beginning, I, I wanted a Fuji, got a Fuji... Then later, Fuji became interested in working with us on, you know, sort of a, a sponsorship or advertising uh, capacity. And since then, I've just felt no need to do anything else but stick with Fuji. Um, but there are other brands out there. Erlex is another more yep. uh, budget-friendly brand. Mm-hmm. And even Rockler, I believe they have like a rebranded they, Erlex, yeah, or at least they, so. they used to. Um, but that might be something to look into, too, though the total power is where your concerns are with some of those cheaper units. Um. D. Blackwell says, do you usually top coat a tongue oil? If so, with what? You can. Um, I mean, this really depends on what you're trying to do. A lot of times, if you're going to top coat a tongue oil, you're just sort of spinning your wheels. A lot of people will do it because they want to get a little bit of deep oil in the wood. They maybe want to get um, a deep penetration of color. You know, you want to put a little life into the wood. So you put that oil coat first and then you top coat it. There's very few instances that that actually does anything more than simply using an oil-based top coat, right? So uh, if you do a side-by-side of a tongue oil-treated board that then got hit with poly, and then next to it, another board that just got hit with the poly, most people can't see the difference between them. And all you're doing with using an oil like tongue oil is extending the dry time. So you're going to apply that oil and have to wait quite a while before you could put the poly on top without it turning into a gummy mess. So generally, for most people, I recommend skipping the tongue oil if, if, you, if you want a tongue oil finish, then have a tongue oil finish. Put the oil on there, and then it's an oiled piece of material. Uh, if you want to maybe put some wax on there, you could do an oil and wax finish. But generally speaking, you know, I don't really see any reason to go from tongue oil to a top coat. Um, <clears throat> Apoapina is in the chat, and he wants to know when you're writing your next book. And I'm wondering if you're going to do a, like a finishing book. It would, I think you should do like redo the finishing book you started. The very first one, the self-published one. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be something I would get satisfaction out of because yeah. I feel like it's <clears throat> sometimes as you you learn more, you, you sort of um, present things a little bit better, uh, you get to a point where you look at it. And it's not the, the information is bad. It's just it needs an update. Yeah. It's not up to our current quality standard, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think. So I would like to do a refresh That'd on that book. That would be kind of cool. Um, but I don't know. I mean... There, there are people who really specialize in finishing, mm-hmm. the Flexners, the Jewets of the world, those two classic, you know, go into any woodworking store, look up a book on finishing, you're going to find it's either Flexner, Hewitt, um, or Dresner. Uh, so, I mean, it, so I don't know that I really have a whole lot to contribute in that category because I'm not as well versed as, as those other people. Uh, more importantly, I don't want to write another book. <laughs> but you, give it another 
Maybe give it a couple of years. A couple of years. <laughs> and then I'll probably go, hey, I got a great idea. Let me write another book. I got nothing else to do. It, it's usually, what's what was the space between the last book? Because after hybrid woodwork, he's like, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And then he did, essentially. <laughs> Sometimes if an idea gets in my head and I yeah. go, yeah, you know what? I can actually see my way to the finish line on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that's when it gets me and I go, okay, let's do it. Um, but I don't, I don't see myself doing it again anytime uh, soon. You crack me up. It's, it's not even just the writing of the book now. Yeah. We sell a lot of books, and sure. that's not to brag. That's just to, to explain that the the process. It shuts us down for like a month. It, it was I, it was more than a month. It was like a month and a half. So you take all the time to write the book, you do all that process, and then once if if you're the doing the selling of the book, which yeah. maybe that's our mistake, is yeah. we need to you just know outsource give it. that yeah outsource outsource that to a fulfillment center. Um, but we did all the processing. I wanted to sign all of the books. I literally was signing books for a month. Yeah. Um, which is great. I'm super thankful for that. And it's amazing that we have that kind of response. But man, that's a headache to take on. It's just a small three, four person business. Everybody's saying they would love a finishing book. Would you though? All right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> terrible. Uh, we got a super chat here from... Oh, this coffee is just the perfect temperature. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not getting any colder the longer it sits here. <laughs> Looks like he's building the gaming table. Okay, Adam says, for the gaming table, my eight-quarter lumber came a hundred, a hundred, one and a half inches thick, rough. So the legs are looking like they're going to be close to three inches after milling. Is this okay? If so, uh, do I adjust the aprons and rails to be a half inch longer? I think it's okay because honestly... I sometimes look at the legs on the gaming table and I think, man, those are beefy. Mm -hmm. I maximized the yield that I could get from uh, eight-quarter lumber that then got milled to an inch and three-quarters. So the final dimension is an inch and three-quarters times two. Um, I think you could go skinnier, and I think the design can certainly handle a more narrow leg perfectly fine. And yes, if, if what you want to do is maintain the same final dimensions, you have to extend your aprons to compensate, and then your bottom panel as well to compensate for that change. So just in case, Adam, you are a guild member and you're building the, the project from the guild, uh, if you are a guild member, you have direct support from him um, in the project itself. So any mm -hmm. question you answer in the project, so like in a lesson, he will respond to you there as well, um, as well as the support in the guild you can ask Matt or Mark a question, and it goes directly to the inbox. And it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be about that project. It's general woodworking sure. questions. Sure, whatevs. So and just thanks, uh, FYI for the guild members that are watching. Thanks to Stumptown as well. Sent us a super chat and Aww. some nice words. Thank you, Stumptown. Stumptown. Okay. Okay. You what got, else? You got some Patreon questions? Oh, I got some questions, yeah. Okay. I'm getting distracted by the chat, <laughs> as is what I do. Adam, uh, I'm not going to even try your last name, Adam. Adam says, as part of my quest to get better with hand tools and joinery, um, in 2020, I built my wife a jewelry box for Mother's Day out of a single piece of walnut and maple inlays. She was thrilled with the results. Here, I'm going to put up a picture here Ooh. so you can see what we're talking about. Pretty. And I'll keep reading. However, after a few months, the side wing panels have started to bow badly outwards. Almost a one-inch bow. Holy smokes. And she can't even close the box anymore. I milled the walnut. From a piece of eight-quarter stock, which I kept in my shop for quite a while to condition it after jointing and planing, and then finished with Danish oil and then wipe on poly. Uh, I thought I'd be, or I thought, yeah, I thought I'd be good for any wood movement, but clearly I was wrong. Let me get another picture here for you. Any suggestions for how to repair this, or if it's not repairable, any tips to avoid 
the problem if I have to rebuild the sides? Was finishing the issue or should I have built the sides as a panel and not a single wide board? All right, so what I see here, and I mean, here, here's the thing. Wood can be a, you know what, a BI. Yeah. Sometimes it just does what it wants to do and you could do everything right and things will go haywire. That's the joy of working with a natural product, right? So let's keep that in mind. That could also be a factor here. But if I'm gonna point at what might be the problem, what could have possibly happened, you said that you gave it acclimation time, that's perfectly fine, but wood can be, you know, it can take time, right? So if you take an eight quarter board and what looks to be, I don't know exactly how thick your sides are, uh, but when I look at that picture there, I'm gonna guess based on those box joints or those finger joints on the sides that you probably milled down to about a half inch or so. You know, that's actually a very small amount of material to take out of an eight quarter board. So if there was a little bit of, you know, extra moisture inside that board and you took a slice from the middle of the board, it actually is gonna take quite a while for that thing to lose all of that moisture and acclimate to the environment. Um, so it's, it's hard to say how long you should do that and at what point the best way to do this is to monitor it with a, uh, a moisture meter. Um, that's how you absolutely know when it's gonna be in a, a, a position that it's not gonna lose a whole lot of moisture or gain a lot of moisture if you take it into the house. Um, so that could very well be the case. You have a pretty wide piece of material. Um, you, could, you could see kind of the way the grain patterns are running there. You've got the center cut of the, the tree and I think if you looked at the uh, if you looked at the end grain on there, you would see a transition from what looks like quarter sawn grain to flat sawn all the way across that board. And when you go thin enough, those boards have a really hard time staying flat. So the sides are a half inch. He's, okay. in, the he's in the chat room. Oh, good, good. Well, then that's what I guessed, that a half inch. So I think that's what it comes down to. A thin piece of material with no support structure to hold it in place generally will not stay flat. I would say most of the time is not going to stay flat. All right, so the, the cure for this is possibly to break up the panel, and I hate doing this, I really prefer wide panels whenever possible, but sometimes you need to do it. If you break up the grain pattern, you might end up with a, a more stable structure, right? So you can do that thing where you, you cut, you could flip your pieces to get the grain to go the way you want, or just use like riff sawn or quarter sawn if you could find it. Uh, you also may try to, to rejig the sides to make it more of a floating panel structure. That's what I did on um, Ava's jewelry box. Yeah. It's got a solid piece of walnut on the side. It is made up of two boards, uh, and then it is a floating panel at that point. And the structure around it is sturdy enough that if that panel decides to move a little bit, it's probably not going anywhere because the rest of the box uh, for the side is holding it in place. So I think that's all, that's all that happened here. I don't think you have enough structure preventing this thing from moving. Uh, even though it's a thin panel, I'm looking at your sides. I can't quite see it, but it looks like you have, you've got two side strips going down that panel. So you've got the one in the back, the one in the front, but you don't have a strip across the top. You have that little uh, hanger and then another series of hangler, hangers on the other side. I think if your box frames actually were a square box and then your panel is attached in some way, that's gonna be stronger, right? As it is right now, you have nothing to resist the movement of that side panel. So I'm sorry to spend so much time on that, but I thought it was a really good question. I love that he sent pictures. That was- Hey, anytime uh, you guys have questions, if you want this kind of a deeper level answer, send me some photos. If yeah, you could send me he, uh, um, pictures. In the Patreon uh, response, he put the, the links to yeah, and I, you, you really can't, like, that's the only way to do it, right? Yeah, that's, the only, that's them, really the only way you to do gotta it. You've got to have them hosted somewhere, yeah. but I'll pull the pictures down and we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. I love doing that stuff. 
let's see. Uh, Manning Made Woodcraft says, what's your favorite method for filling oak grain? Didn't you just do that in the, in the video for we the cabinets? Because I see all the, the people saying, yeah. Didn't you fill? Okay, so I think we did this twice. We did it in my mom's painted oak cabinet uh, yeah. video. There was a grain fill in that one. I'm not. <laughs> How dare you! Sure. I know. <laughs> that video will constantly be a source. Oh my of, god! I'm going to say it. Morons, morons <laughs> in my life, you guys. Um, you know Jason's table. Yeah. We we made a new tabletop for oh, my brother-in-law yeah, when he yeah. moved out here. Mm -hmm. uh, it had an Osmo finish on it, but I'm almost positive we did a pour fill on that one because with oak, it just I, I personally don't love the the sort of open pour structure of oak, and I'm pretty sure that we did actually do a pour fill, but maybe not. Go check that one out too. <laughs> where's the? That's weird. Where's where's the video? Which one? Oh, we did that. Wow. It's a long time ago. Yeah, I didn't realize Page it was two. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask another yep. question here. I'll put a link in the in the chat for the painted outdated oak cabinet so you can <clears throat> so you can experience oh, it. Oh, go to the comments. <laughs> oh, it's and wonderful. eat them up. <laughs> okay, Jeffrey Smith says, "I seem to remember you saying that you have a mini split in your shop for heating and cooling. I'm thinking of doing the same. How do you like it? I was thinking it might be problematic." due to a dusty wood shop, but it seems lots of folks have them. Does it require lots of maintenance to keep it working uh, in working order? I'm mostly concerned with the unit getting clogged with dust and the impact on its effectiveness. I love it. I love that thing. I love it. Um, it's keeping us nice and warm in here right now. Super quiet. <laughs> Nicole would like it a little warmer, but I'm okay. Uh, it's super quiet, and I have not had a major problem with dust. Every time I've gone up there, to there's usually a little onboard filter on the interior unit that you could pop off. You could you know, sometimes hose it off if you need to, uh, but you can keep it clean that way. I haven't had any issues, and I think part of the reason is I'm really diligent about making sure dust isn't floating around my shop any more than there, there has to be. So I've got a good dust collector. I collect dust at the tools. And I've got a couple of air cleaners. Between all of that, there's really not that much to worry about. I think if you have a shop with uncontrolled dust and you're just kicking it all up all day long, sure, you're going to have to clean that thing a lot more than I do. Um, but for me, it's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I got a question. Also, sorry. Oh, sorry. If you want to, go check out, um, I think Jay Bates did a build where he made a filter box to go around it or something like that to, to help... Um, you know, prevent that dust situation, but it looked like a huge project and it looked like a lot of work that can also be solved with good dust collection. So, but look at it, it's, it's an option depending on your situation. So Chris Ham asked or at the top of the show, <coughs> yes. um, talking about support, is it better to give to you through YouTube or Patreon? I, it, it just, uh, you know what? Whatever's convenient. <laughs> whatever's good for you. Yeah, whatever. Honestly, I mean, there's we... more rewards the the way that patreon works you can do mm -hmm. like more reward based things that we send to you youtube doesn't really facilitate that it's just more there's also i think with patreon it's it's a better system mm -hmm. still with more features for us to do things on patreon to YouTube, interact with you yeah youtube is still catching up with yeah. that they don't make it easy for the creators to do the things we do on patreon so right. it's getting there but I, whatever makes you know whatever's easier for you <laughs> we're like we're good either way. We're good. Just the fact that you're here and hanging out with us is Just showing really, up. Uh, let's I got see. a super chat here. Okay. I got a couple super chats that came in. Um, well, hold on. Let me take these in order here. So this is not a super chat, though. Uh, William says, 
what brand and how much, if you don't mind, uh, if you don't mind. So that is a Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi came out with a series that can um, work in sub-zero temperatures, uh, which not all mini splits can do. So it is one of the better units. Um, do you remember what I paid? I don't. I don't see remember. our installation for this was really expensive because you, we had to run under concrete yeah. uh, to get where we needed to go with the compressor, and they just wound up racking up the cost. But and what I, think I did, it was, it was like five grand. But maybe, how I found someone to install it was I went to Mitsubishi. I can't say Mitsubishi. 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 Just like that. <laughs> I went to their website and they have a like a certified installer. Mm -hmm. and that's how I found. I also, our by using a certified installer, got an additional warranty yeah. on there, which was pretty cool. Uh, okay, so Kra Kraken Spawncraft. Uh, what are your honest thoughts on CNC work versus handcraft projects? Um, how do I word this? My honest thought is, who cares? Um, how do I word this? How do I word this? So that how I do don't... you say, who cares? <laughs> who gives a crap? <laughs> I, it, who cares? Um, I honestly, do I think that a handcrafted item uh, compared to one that was cut on CNC, are they of equal value? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you value things. Certainly the one that was done by hand required more work, more manual dexterity, more probably more skill, hand skill. Uh, the CNC thing required more technical skill and uh, maybe design skill to be able to get this thing to work. That, that's hard on a CNC. It's not something. I mean, it's something I think people who are anti-CNC completely dismiss. Yeah. Uh, for the amount of things you have to do to get it to go right, it's just not that easy. Um, but in the end, this goes into the territory of people judging what other people do. And I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> uh, you could you could use whatever tools you want to create something. I have a CNC and I rarely use it for my own work. Not because I feel like, I don't know, like a sense of superiority about it. Uh, mostly because the kind of woodworking I got into, I enjoy because I enjoy it. That's what I enjoy doing. When I start, It's not like when I started woodworking in, what, 2004 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, we weren't already in a position that we don't have to buy furniture, right? Right. Or that, right. like, it, furniture was already out there. You don't have to build your own furniture. And you really are taking, the, like, the slow road if you are building your stuff yourself. You could just go buy it. We don't need woodworkers to build furniture. <laughs> that was the same in 2004. And that's the same today. So just because there's a new tool, a new advanced way of doing it, doesn't necessarily mean that I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing it that way. So I continue to do the kind of woodworking I want to do. Um, but in the end, I don't care. Use whatever you want to use. If it, if it makes you money and you can do you know higher throughput and get more stuff done, uh, all the power to you. Uh, Scott Reichinger did a super chat and said, "Need a pointy detail sander. Dust collection is important. Suggestions? Point? What's a pointy? I don't know. He asked oh, is that, that the like the? I think he asked that question. Fane. Like sure. the pointy one? Yeah, they make one. Festool makes one. You can get like a little mouse sander, like a black and decorative deal. Oh, yeah, deal. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically the triangular shaped pan. Yeah, he yeah. asked that in the guild too, and I didn't really have a good answer for that. I've got one of the Festool units. That's a tool that comes out for DIY projects. Yeah. Very rarely in woodworking, uh, unless I'm refinishing a door. Right. That's when that sander comes out, and I'm like... I am so glad I've got this sander. But 99% of the time outside of this project, I don't care about it. Um, so I don't have a great suggestion because I do have the Festool. Yeah, I see the Fein, F-E-I-N, right? Yep. One the a lot. orange one. I see that one a lot. Okay, Brian wants to know, 
if using a card scraper instead of sanding, do I need to uh, do I need to wet to raise the grain before applying finish, specifically Rubio Monaco? Okay, well, you don't necessarily need to raise the grain before Rubio. That's something that some people do. Um, I just finished two desks. We did not raise the grain, and it feels fine. Oil-based finishes are not are going to... Are you done with these? Yeah, they're pretty much done. Oil-based finishes are not going to raise the grain like a water-based finish. Usually, we raise the grain when we want to prevent the next coat of finish, whatever you're going to put on there, from raising the grain, right? So that's why you do it. If it's an oil-based finish, you usually don't have to, but you can because sometimes in some woods, even when you put an oil on it, you do get a little bit of that raised roughness. So it can be a good precautionary measure. Also, if you have any little micro scratches in the surface, doing that grain raise means you're going to lightly sand it afterwards and it can help get those out of it as well. And a lot of people will find that what they call, excuse me, popping the grain, grain popping or water popping, um, which really confuses things because the world I come from, popping the grain is something you do on figured woods, not something you do on a floor, but they do it anyway. This water popping process kind of opens up the pores a little bit more so that if you're putting color on the, the wood, it actually makes the color a little bit more intense. So there's another reason why you might consider doing it. Got a Patreon question? But the scraping doesn't make any difference in how the grain raises. At least from my experience. What'd you say? Patreon questions. Oh, that's right. We have Get Patreon. Back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Ken Coyle wants to know. He says, in my weekly email reminder, which I never ignore, it says that we, we use random.org to select a winner after the show for a free guild project of your choice. I remember you used to actually uh, select a question from the show, but now do the random org thing. Uh, do you ever announce the winner so that the rest of us losers will know <laughs> Rub who, to, it in. who to congratulate and envy? <laughs> Maybe during each week's show, you could just throw out a quick congratulations to the last week's winner, Ken. Uh, notice he put his name there. That's pretty slick. Uh, again, I, I said it, so we must, we must have to do it. He goes, I think you should say exactly that every week. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, we used to do that. And then I started forgetting. And it takes up parts of the show and we were just trying to focus. So if you win um, on that post, I actually reply directly to the winner uh, after the show. So the, the original morning show yeah. post on Patreon. Yes, and you can go back and look yeah. at last week's show and you'll see the winner. And I say, congrats, email me, you want a project. Yep. So try not to make that big of a deal about it. Um, so. And I'm gonna, I think we should give Ken a free project for, for having big balls. And I think from now on, I will call him Big Balls Ken Coyle. <laughs> Can you write that down? No. No, I mean, no. write down that we're going to give Ken a project. Okay, I'll give... I'll, I'll... <laughs> See, sometimes all you have to do is ask, but you never know, because uh, depending on my mood, it might go the other way, and I might go in and start taking projects away. Yeah, because you writing that question puts you in the running, because what happens is I count up all the people that have... Ask questions, I yeah. put it into random org, and then it gives me the number, well, and, and that's how I do it. We don't promote it much anymore, no. and the whole point of it was kind of a promotional thing, like, yeah. hey, come to the live show, you might get a free project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should probably do it that way in well, the future. I stopped doing it that way because you were, you were... I just forget about it. No, you were like... Rrr. Was I? Rrr. Was that really what I was like? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Black goat woodworking. <laughs> Can you go over your zero clearance setup that you have on your Capex? I see it in videos, and I think it's uh, simple, straightforward, and wouldn't mind a quick walkthrough. Well, look, I can't give you a walkthrough, but I can send you a link to a product. I'm going to put this in the chat room. This is uh, on Amazon. It's got a fantastic name. 
It's the cauliflower zero clearance insert for the Capex miter saw. So you replace this little plate, you know, the standard throat plate that's in there. You replace that and what this system is that I really, really love is you buy the replacement inserts and they're just kind of like dovetail shaped and you slide those suckers right on in and you're good to go. So you're buying a plate with the, the insert in there and then you could buy a pack of extra inserts uh, when you need to change it out and it's called cauliflower. Cauliflower. <clears throat> like the food. Although I don't know if it's spelled the same. And I'll put, uh, so he should have. It is not spelled the same, which is an interesting marketing decision. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Cauliflower is C-A-U-L. Yeah. This is spelled C-O-L-L-I. So I'll put this, if you are if you don't see the link in the chat, um, I'll put it in our Amazon store. So amazon.com slash shop slash the wood whisperer underneath uh, Friday Live. So yeah. that's where it will be. That's pretty cool. Got another um, question? I got questions. I do. Brian I got Thorpe, lots of questions. I used Rubio Pure on some spalted hackberry and hard maple, and it gave the wood a yellow appearance. I heard somewhere that if you use Rubio White, it'll keep the light-colored woods the original color. Is this true? If you experimented with any of the Rubio colors, I've experimented with darker colors, um, like brown and walnut color. Haven't done much beyond that. I think there is some logic to the white thing, right? Um, but I don't have any experience with that. You'd have to try it out. You can get samples from them too. Um, it probably will cost you shipping, uh, but you can get sample bottles with the different colors and just see how it's going to impact um, the wood that you're working on. Uh, but yes, pure, Rubio Pure is an oil, right? And all oils, generally speaking, are going to yellow your lighter colored woods. So um, a lot of times if you're trying to avoid that, people go to water-based finishes. But if the white version works, that, that would be interesting. I got a question here from Anthony. Uh, he said, I believe this was covered in an episode of Wood Talk, mm -hmm. which is back, by the way. New episode just yep, dropped an episode this week. Um, Woodtalkshow.com. Uh, but I can't remember which one. Do you wear a respirator when using hand tools that produce a lot of dust, like saws? No. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no. Let me, no. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't do an excessive amount of sawing. Usually if I'm sawing, it's going to be joinery. So it's a quick cut. Uh, most of the dust produced by a saw is heavier, larger particles. You're not kicking as much fine dust into the air like you do when you sand. Um, there might be a hand tool or something. I guess, you know, when I'm rasping a lot, if I'm doing some fine rasp work, I'll probably wear a respirator for that. Um, but, you know, it does produce some dust, but I don't really do enough of that hand tool stuff for me to say that there's, you know, cumulatively enough in the air for me to be concerned about it. Uh, I got another question here from Eric Jenkins. Do you still like the T111 wall behind you? Just moved into my first house and building out my shop. Sure. And the T111 is partially aesthetics is. and partially function, right? I think it looks cool. It makes it look woody. I, I grew up in the woodworking world watching woodworkers who had all beautiful wood backgrounds. And it just is a picturesque, cool-looking environment to do woodworking in. And since this is where I do most of my hand tools, actually most of my, my work in general, um, I thought it would be a really cool backdrop for the show. So even in the old shop uh, in Arizona, we used it there too. Mm -hmm. But functionally speaking, I now have a surface, I think this is like 5 eighths. I've got a surface that I could drive a screw into and attach anything I want anywhere I want without having to find studs. So I like it for both of those reasons. It looks really cool, looks great on camera, and it also allows me to hang things wherever I want. That is true. That is true. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, I just got a reminder. We didn't say at the top of the show that we have Boo. a new guild project that's coming out from Philip Morley. 
<laughs> Vincent, thank you for reminding me. He said, don't forget to mention the new guild chair. We mentioned it last week, though. Yeah. Oh, did we? Yeah. Okay. Look, I mean, we get the, we get accused sometimes, especially me. <laughs> Over the years, I get accused of being like, this uh, marketing well, genius. he's not that great of a woodworker, but he's a great marketer. <laughs> and it's like, really, though? I'm not. <laughs> and I don't think those people were prepared for what the next 10 years on YouTube would bring them. Yeah. That said, uh, we, you know, we're not the greatest at remembering to promote things all the time. So the next skill project which so is, thanks for the ruin. is, I'll put a link in the, in the chat um, for those interested in mm -hmm. it. Uh, Philip Morley built this amazing lounge chair. There's 16 videos that walk you through the entire process. Um, we just had, I just got the captions in. So everything will drop Netflix style on February 1st. The reason why we do a pre-order is that you don't get it just yet. We're still hammering out everything. Yep. So hammering you, it. you won't get anything. You're just getting it at the pre-order price. But if you wait until February 1st, then it goes back up to regular price. Yeah, it's going to be either 90 or a hundred bucks yeah. when that, when that happens. So there all you right. go. Head on over to the woodwhisperguild.com and learn all about it. Kim Erickson. I have a lot of reclaimed hardwood framing timber from our house renovation, two by fours. Even our builder was surprised at how straight and true they are. I plan to run through my thicknesser and laminate them for a workbench top. Do you see any problems or considerations I need to be aware of? Not at all. I mean, maybe this stuff could be soft. A lot of times homes are built with soft woods, so they might dent fairly easily. I mean, if you put your fingernail into it and you could leave an indentation there, that's up to you if you want a workbench like that. Um, I usually want something a little bit more... Uh, harder than that um, but you never know I don't know when your house was built and where this material came from what the material actually is if it's fairly dense and it feels like good you know heavy-duty material heck yeah use it the one consideration is to look out for metal look out for nails uh, stuff that's inside walls can certainly have metal bits and things in it so maybe get a cheap metal detector and see if you could um, locate any things that could cause problems with power tools and hand tools all right I got a question here from Ken Smith, if I were going to join the guild, what tools are must-have to be able to complete the builds? Woodworking tools. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the project. It always depends on the project. Each project generally will list the tools that are, you know, considered required or uh, required is a tough way to put it because you could use other tools. Mm -hmm. uh, usually what we try to do, though, is right disclose exactly what that person used, right? So that you may have to find other ways to do it if you don't have those tools. So if you go down to each project, look on the bottom left, there's some things you can unfold and you could see what will I need. That one will tell you what tools the person used. Even a, a general estimate of the wood used, too. Yeah, and I think, you know, for the most part, we don't have any exclusive hand tool users um, in the guild yet. So most of these projects are going to require the basics, your table saw, uh, planer, jointer, bandsaw, um, you know, but some of them do get into some specialized things and that's usually called out on that list. So. Yeah. So like underneath um, the dressing vanity that Matt did, if you expand, what will I need? It says, no, this is not a required list of tools. It's simply what he used during the build. Yeah. Remember, there's always multiple ways to accomplish a task so you don't have one or more of these tools, you can likely still make the project. And the great part of that is you have access to the instructor. Yeah. So in the, you know, you can go to that intro post mm -hmm. and say, hey, I want to cut that same thing you did. Do you have any suggestions for an alternative method? And then you'll get an answer. Yep. Even if that answer is no, <laughs> you'll get an answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul Engel says, I'm laminating a couple of four quarter, six inch maple boards. How long would you recommend waiting after the glue up to run through the jointer and planer so that they don't get gummed up? Indoor temp and humidity, he puts in brackets. 
<clears throat> well, I usually give it at least a few hours. Uh, if if the glue is in a state that it could potentially gum up your, your jointer and planer knives, I wouldn't be planing it. Usually if I'm planing something, I want to make sure that any of that squeeze out is firm. It's hard. It's sandable. Because typically if I haven't already scraped it away, that's exactly what I'm going to do is I'm going to sand it down to make it nice and smooth before sending it through my power tools. I don't want anything to chip when it contacts a nice hard bead of glue. Uh, so if you are thinking about running it through while something is still moist enough to gum up your blades, that's too soon. Uh, generally speaking, though, these joints don't really want to be stressed for hours, right? Uh, and sometimes that vibration over power tools can cause that stress. The other thing you need to be careful of when you do a panel like this, that glue line, even if it's dry on the outside, could still be wet on the inside. And the water from the glue goes into the fibers on both sides of the joint, and it swells the fibers. So if you start milling that board while, that's still, uh, while that water is still trapped in there, you are going to flatten it while it was swollen, in effect. So that after you do the flattening and you let that board sit there and you go back the next day, excuse me, there's a real good chance you could have a divot there because the moisture was still leaving the board and now it's shrunk down to its normal size, but you removed material while it was swollen with moisture, right? So you can wind up with a little divot on that glue joint. So it's a good idea with panels to give them at least 24 hours, I would say, before doing any big time milling on it to just completely be safe. Overnight is certainly adequate. Uh, John Conklin says, I have a plan that's calling for two by twos. They are way too expensive. Is there a way you can rip other lumber to make two by twos that are good for a project? Sure. Anything bigger than two by two. <laughs> you can usually rip down. Um, when you say two by two, I don't know if we're talking about construction lumber. Yeah. Uh, that's, this is terminology you would usually hear when it's simple numbers like, like that. Yeah, like... So like a two by four, it's always like, well, it's not actually two by four. Um, so I don't know exactly what your target dimensions are for the final material. If it's true hardwood that needs to be two inches by four inches, well, then certainly you're going to want to get material that's much bigger than that so that when you cut it and do all the milling, you're going to end up with a final dimension of two by two. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit tricky, though, because I don't know exactly what the final true dimensions are. And if you're talking about starting with um, construction lumber, but yes... Anything larger, for the most part, you can cut down. Just keep in mind, if this is a construction lumber thing, if you try to cut down a 2x4 and get two 2x2s two out of it, um, of course, we're talking the numbers are going to be less than that. Yeah, because they're never really 2x2, two two, right? They're not. But I'm really more concerned about the fact that when you cut a 2x4 down the middle, chances are it's not going to stay straight. Uh -uh. So if your pieces are long... Uh, you may wind up getting a pretzel on your yeah. hands. <laughs> uh, David Hernandez did a super chat, a nice super chat. It said, more Robux. Kids aren't playing Roblox anymore. Oh, uh, we we took that away, you guys. It was too much. Too much. Talk about that in the after show. Yeah, we'll talk about that. If it was actually the best thing we did with our children. Our kids are nine and five. Yep. The best thing we did this year in 2020. Robux. Say, was getting rid of Fortnite, getting rid of Among Us, getting rid of YouTube. Yep. YouTube is a monster <laughs> for kids. Anyway, he says, uh, best your, yo best, I'm thinking you meant you, what? You, yo best wood for my outdoor barbecue. I'm in SoCal. We'll put a cover when it's not in use. I don't want to break the bank on this. I think this is red. More Robux. Yo, best wood for my outdoor oh. barbecue cart. You got it? <laughs> yeah. You got to think like yo. slang. Yeah, slang. Yeah. Yo. Yo! Okay. Best wood for his... So, Cal, <laughs> uh, got a cover one not in use. Don't want to break the bank. 
Outdoor barbecue cart. Well, you know, you're covering it. That's that's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. That opens up the playbook to, to even have, dare I say it, you know, something that typically is used indoors, but with a really good quality finish on it, that cover is everything out there, okay? It's the UV and the water that will kill these pieces of furniture outside. Oh, geez. White oak, maybe? Um, white oak has some rot resistance. It's very, very durable. Um, it may not be, it's certainly not the most expensive thing you could buy out there, but it is a domestic species. That's our alarm. Time to end the show. All right. We'll talk to you later, guys. Um, I I mean, Western red cedar is also a good outdoor species, but a little bit soft. Uh, you still could make a barbecue cart out of it. Do you have some more Patreon questions? I'm on my last one. Okay. Just in time. I can't remember on which social media you mentioned it. Did you say something about building a quilt this? rack? Oh, I'm sorry. This is Kent Johnson. Okay. Kent J. Johnson. Uh, I was asked to build one and don't know if that's something you will be doing soon. So I have two projects coming up after these gaming desks. One is going to be a quilt ladder. You've seen those, right? In the in the, the, the magazines for uh, furniture. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. What are they called? What, what stores are we talking about that would have the ladder racks? The ladder racks? And the house is all white. Like West Elm. West Elm. A pottery barn. That's what I'm talking about. One of those things. Uh, And this actually, I'm going to try to do my basic build uh, version with that using all of those tools that are sitting over there in that alcove. Uh, The other thing I'm going to do is a less simple quilt rack that will be a floor standing unit with some bent lamination and uh, stainless steel bars uh, connecting the two sides. That'll be more... You know, we have specific places these things need to go in the house. These are actually uh, Nicole requests, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I might even let her put some pies on it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you guys will get that joke. Some people will. Uh, so, yeah, two of these are coming up soon, and those, I believe, will be my next projects. Got two super chats that just came in. Kevin right, Windsor. On. Really important question. Uh, I'm the replying. Part of, the part of Phoenix we're in is the, uh, the one called Denver. <laughs> So keep a lookout for it. Um, we used to live in the Phoenix area. We we haven't lived there in over four we years. We were in Surprise and yeah. Litchfield Park, depending on which year. Um, and then like four years ago, maybe four, four. or so. It's been four. Uh, we moved to Denver. Maybe more. Okay, here we go. Kevin Windsor. <clears throat> I always think Kevin is a cop with that thing. What does that say? I can't see Registered it. Maine Guide is what that says. Oh. Who sneaks into my shop at night and loosens my glue-up clamps? Tight when I leave. Some of the clamps loose the next morning. Okay, so this is part of that moisture thing, right? A lot of times, especially I found with softwoods or if you're using construction lumber, uh, these things can have a lot of water in them. So in the time that it takes you to mill them down, put the glue on, put them in clamps, they actually lose enough moisture that you can wind up with loose clamps the next day. Uh, You also have a situation where the glue line itself adds moisture to the board, which could cause just a little bit of swelling to make it a real nice tight fit. And then as that water leaves, it shrinks again. So it's got to be a humidity and moisture problem. Or it could be uh, gremlins. Okay, last one from OJ. (laughs) Thank you for the show. Very acceptable. Look, we strive (laughs) to be pretty mediocre. Uh, you know, just don't like, get those expectations too high. Yeah, just like on the barbecue just, channel. I mean, I don't pull any punches. My tagline <laughs> is making perfectly mediocre barbecue for like ten years now. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think we need to take a whole lot of pride in what we do. We just need to get through it. 
That's what we're all here uh, for, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, Good stuff. You hey. know what? We need to do, like, for this show, yeah. we have to have funny testimonial quotes. Yeah. And we'll have one from OJ that says, yeah. perfectly acceptable. Perfectly acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey. If, As advertised. If you ask questions during the show and I missed them, I, I'm sorry. We only do this for 45 minutes. Um, but we do have an after show, which we answer more questions um but if mm-hmm. you if you really want to get that question and you gotta either get in at the top of the show or sign up for uh, patreon yeah. yeah so the after show is about to happen right now the link for that will be on patreon i'm gonna, um, I'm gonna put the link nicole put the link in there for the patreon post and if you're a youtube uh supporter uh you just need to go to the community tab and the the link to the video is right there yeah. you um, can ask questions on that too is there any heat in your shop? You're all bundled up. I'm cold. My well, hands Nicole's are cold, freezing. And I have a short sleeve shirt on, right? So my arms would get a little bit chilly. And you know, I actually, I warm up very quickly once I start working, oh. but standing here is not doing that for me. I forgot a super chat from Brian Murrah. Okay, go ahead. If I used a card scraper instead of sanding, do I need to? I already answered it. Oh, did you? Yep. Never mind. Done and done. I did forget it. Okay, hey. thank you for watching, everybody. Remember, the Essential Joinery hardcover book is um, ready to roll. 30 bucks. It's a big, big sale. And once these are gone, they're gone. So TWWstore.com if you want to get a copy. Give my mom something to do. So Craig and Robert are trying to keep us here. They both did, just did a super chat. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> and said to, Craig said, to enhance your mediocre barbecue. Oh, thank you. Which I cannot eat right now. Uh, and Robert Pride says, I hope the super chat is at least partially acceptable. <laughs> so, Absolutely acceptable. It's very kind of yeah, you. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate <laughs> hope it. Hope you're having a good day and hope you have a good week. And can you guys hear that? It sounds like a helicopter, but it's actually one of those compactor units that they use. We have brick all around this house, just brick patio, and the way Denver soil moves, all over the place. Hey, so, we'll talk about that in the after show. Uh, all right, fine. <laughs> you want to be that way, Nicole. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. <laughs>